So I haven't recorded an episode in a while, and I'm in the middle of a sneezing fit. So, oh God, here it comes. Oh man. Uh, so, yeah, I figured uh, since I haven't recorded in a while, probably a good idea to record one. Uh, it's just sometimes it's I scan the headlines and I try to figure out like what it is. What can I make an episode on? Oh God, here. Uh, Oh, that was false alarm. Um, what can I make an episode on? And then I'm like, wait, there's too much stuff. I got to pick something, like one thing. Uh, I'm going to sneeze again. Hit the music. Hit the music. So I realized during that last segment that I kind of had the radio playing and like I was just I'm all over the place. Um, forgive me. The time scale for my kid arriving has been bumped up by a week. So it looks like we're going to have a baby on October 1st, which conveniently, um, that's my next scheduled weekend off for my retail job. So at least, you know, um, as an employee, I won't be missing work. Yeah, I let that one hang for a minute because actually I'm I'm going to get eight weeks paid vacation. So that one's not so bad. Um, Anyway, so what do I talk about in this episode that I have missed in the last almost month since I made an episode? It's it's been a hot minute. Man, there's just been so much dumb stuff that's happened. Like, where do I start? Um, Governor Ron DeSantis just deported Venezuelans to Martha's Vineyard. On the taxpayer dime, of course, didn't come out of his personal pocket, came out of ours. Uh, I live here in the state of Florida. So when uh, the executive branch of the state that I live in decides to arbitrarily deport people to another state using money that would otherwise have gone to people in the state, I, I have some questions because that's not the epitome of fiscal responsibility in my opinion, um, or or in fact, actually, because, you know, um, spending money to do something needlessly is kind of the opposite of fiscal responsibility. And and some, of would, some people might call that performance art. You know, like when you go to the museum and the artist is there, like, you know, lighting his testicles on fire to, you know, make a statement about how birth control is illegal or, you know, fur is murder or something like that, you know, it, it's the same exact thing. There's no reason to put immigrants on a plane and fly them to another state, let alone to a place like Martha's Vineyard. But hey, you know what? That's great. Um, at least they vote and they will vote when they become legal and um, they're going to have refuge uh, I just, how did Venezuelans end up here? Because usually it's it's Cubans and Puerto Ricans, which, I mean, to be fair, only one of those is, like, not a citizen of the United States. I'll let you figure out which one that is. Because if you don't know and you're listening to my show, then uh, we, we have some things to discuss. But uh, more importantly, I'm, I'm just confused. I don't, I don't really know. I don't really know what happened. Um, why he decided this was the tact to take 
in uh, bringing people to another state. Like, none of that should have been okay for anyone at any point. And here we are. So, yeah. Great job, Governor DeSantis, uh, doing, you know, uh, the amazing amazing fascist things that you're accused of doing. Just keep that image up. And also, great job to your press secretary for um, continuing her reputation as being an absolute unbearable just just person to deal with. Like, there's, there's no excuse for what's going on. None whatsoever. And you guys just, you know, keeping up appearances. So great job, everybody. Let's uh let's keep it going. Um in other news, uh the one topic that's dominated my headlines over the last week would be that there's a black mermaid. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, and I I can't I would be I would be being a jerk if I didn't mention that there are also black uh elves. Or wait, are there hobbits? Anyway, the other the other show on Amazon Prime, the one with Lord of the Rings, there's there's black people everywhere. Everywhere there's black people. Like like holy crap. Where did all these black people come from? They've never existed before now. Cuz you know when it's fiction, it has to follow facts. Oh my god. Ugh, listen. So if your primary goal in life is to like, you know, say that it since it's always been this way, it can't be different. Um, I have bad news for you. You have 99 problems. Not only is Jay-Z one of them, but I'm also one of them. And you don't want me to be one of your problems because that's like that's like a problem for you. It's not a problem for me because I could just drink another beer and (laughs) and you're going to go away. But. I'm not going to go away for you, no matter how many beers you drink. Um, and therein, therein lies the problem overall is there there are black people in the world. Yeah, apparently that's, that is a problem in and of itself for some people. So the fact that there are people who are not white who want to act and... Uh, be mermaids and be hobbits these characters that don't actually exist in the real world and have no basis in reality other than the fact that somebody created them out of their mind and and we have the well that's not what the source material indicated okay look first of all Hans Christian Andersen wrote a work of fiction when he wrote The Little Mermaid J.R.R. Tolkien wrote a work of fiction when he wrote The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. None of those things are based on actual places or people that really exist. They're one of those, like, disclaimers that the places and people in this exist, you know, don't exist and any similarities to people living or dead are purely coincidental type thing. Yeah, the, there's no way for you to be like, well... He describes them as he describes them. J.R.R. Tolkien describes them as a varied race of people. He really does. We can look that up. Maybe I'll post a link. Maybe I won't. I don't know. That's what's the fun part about this show. You never know what I'm going to do or what I'm not going to do. And neither do I, to be fair. 
So, ultimately, a black mermaid? Really? Bro, I'm in love with Ariel. She was my first princess. My first. Then Jasmine shortly thereafter. Between the two of them, both were voiced by white women. And only one of them is white in the cartoon. (laughs) Please get off of it. You are like losing your minds over nothing. Actually, uh, tangent but related. Mel and I watched Emperor's New Groove the other night, which I absolutely love. Best, one of the best, if not the best Disney movie to come out in the last, you know, 70 years. Humor's on point. Storyline's great. Length of the movie is like perfect for kids. I don't even think it goes more than like an hour and 28 minutes. It's awesome. It's over. It starts. It tells the whole story and it's done in an hour and a half. Like you can't ask for anything more than that, right? Except when you realize that Emperor Cusco is actually supposed to represent the Maya, the Inca, the Aztec civilization. And he's voiced by one of the whitest people I know on the planet, David Spade. His co-star in the movie, Pacha, is supposed to be represented by a great man, the guy you know as Dan Connor, the guy you know as Sully, a man whose name that I can't remember right now. (laughs) Oh man, this is so sad, but... He's he's the voice of Pacha. And and those are two of the whitest people in Hollywood. His wife is voiced by another white woman. Isma's the only woman in there is of color and she's not even the nationality of the people on there. You know what's sad is I can't remember the voice, the name of the actor who does Pacha, but I can tell you Patrick Warburton's in it. He's the voice of Kronk. So that's where my brain's at right now. Thank you, Miller Lite. Um, this is, it's just the level of insanity that I think about when I, I watch through these movies from the past. And I'm like, wow, man, they did a really good job of making these. Wait a minute. That would not hold up now. People would lose their minds. And rightfully so. You mean to tell me there are no other funny Mexican people or Central American, like, Guatemalans or El Salvadorians or, or, or Panamanians. There's none, no Colombians that are hilarious that could have done any of the voices in this movie at this time. And this movie came out in 2000, 2001, maybe 2002. So I get it. But at the same time, it's like, uh, this is just, it's excessive is what it is. It's fucking excessive. So I'm watching these movies back with my wife before our baby gets here. And uh, we're trying to make sure that we have space on our Disney Plus queue because we are going to have about two months together and we're going to be sitting there watching movies and TV shows and stuff like that with with Baby baby Bat, as I'm going to call him, Baby Bat, or her. Nah, it's too late now. If you're listening to my show, I'm going to be honest. It's a him. It's a boy. We've known since fucking April. If you want to know that we've known since April and how I can prove that to you, If you follow me on Facebook, go back to the announcement that we made when we were at Universal Studios and look at what color shirt I'm wearing. That's how long we've known, at least since then. She may not have told me before that, but I've known since April. She told me, and that's why she was like, you should wear the blue shirt. I was like, okay, cool story. So we've known 
I've known, I've been lying, I'm not good at lying, but it doesn't matter. Point is, we're having a baby boy, and I get to introduce him to all kinds of boy stuff, and then the worst part of that is, I'm probably the worst qualified boy to introduce him to boy stuff, because I was raised by women. I didn't even have a fucking man in my life. Well, that's not entirely true. I had, uh, like, uh, somewhat of a male figure, but... You know, depending on what year it is, we can talk about which one it was. Sorry, I'm just trying to finish up. Um, This episode is actually being recorded on location in the parking lot in front of the Polynesian Hotel and Resort. Soon to be Hotel, Resort, and Casino. No, we don't know what they're building over there. They have taken down... An experience that I unfortunately never got to experience and might not ever get to experience. They had the Spirit of Aloha uh, dining experience. And I never got a chance to experience that. It was a traditional Polynesian Hawaiian themed show. Where they would have a fire dancer come out. And they would have belly dancers. They would Aloha. I'm... I'm really bad at this right now because I'm feeling really white. I don't remember all the names of all the dancing. But basically, they would come out and they would do hula dancing. There we go. And they would get there eventually. And then they would serve you food while they were doing hula dancing and flame dancing and all that good stuff. And uh, unfortunately, when the parks closed back in 2020 due to the pandemic, they just took advantage of that and shut down the show. And then eventually tore down the the... The area that it was in. So now it's ter- currently under remodel. We drive by it all the time. Um, she had a short shift today. She was working like 12 to 6.30. So I figured, hey, I'd come and hang out with her. But first, I needed to go get some snacks and some beer. I got myself some donuts and some water and some tea. And I am currently sitting in the parking lot of the Polynesian double and triple checking that everything is accounted for properly so I realized she can't drink the thing I was about to give her which was <laughs> sorry I'm laughing because I'm a jerk uh, I was about to bring in a raspberry Arizona tea which she can't drink but there's water which she can drink I should have bought her two of those and then I bought her uh, like a taco salad anyway I bought her some stuff, so I'm, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go do some stuff, but before I do that, um, just, yeah, it's been an eventful last couple of weeks, and I only have about two weeks until baby boy gets here, so baby bats, baby boy, he'll be here soon, until he gets here, just gonna hang out, relax, I'll finish this episode later. I started recording this episode about six days, five days ago. No, I'm looking at the calendar. So a lot of things have changed in the last few days. But one thing that hasn't changed is my wife is still pregnant. And I know I started talking about things a few moments ago. I'm leaving the beginning of the episode the way it is. Um, But for right now, I am here to talk about what happened today at our doctor's appointment 
because I have never in my life felt shock and panic and fear in a doctor's office the way I felt today. Um, For those of you following along at home, my wife is pregnant. Uh, She is estimated to be going into the 37th week, although by our calculation, she's only 35 weeks along. That's neither here nor there. The doctor's office takes precedence over our math. At 37 weeks pregnant, she has been diagnosed with gestational diabetes and is now slowly developing gestational hypertension. The concern from the doctor's office has been throughout the entire gestational diabetes is that she may be at risk for something called preeclampsia, which is a near fatal or fatal condition, can be fatal, if it is untreated. And it usually presents itself with a huge checklist of things that could be wrong. But one of the things that it usually presents itself with is swollen hands or feet, which right now... She has swollen feet. She's had swollen feet throughout the duration of her pregnancy. I would say starting around month three, month two, uh, which would have been March or April is when it got bad in her hands. It got really bad in May and then it kind of subsided. The swelling stays in her feet, but it doesn't make them balloon until she's been on her feet all day at work and she comes home. On top of that, the hypertension, high blood pressure. The last two times she's gone into the doctor's office, the OB has taken her blood pressure, the nurse's assistant, medical assistant has taken her blood pressure, and it has registered at um, 136 over 100 one time, 128 over 98 another time. So she has had higher than normal um, blood pressure readings. And what the doctor told us in the last visit was that if her blood pressure either number was 140 or one or excuse me if it was over 140 for the top number or over 90 for the second number not to call the office but just to take her and they have they suggested that we get a blood pressure monitor for her so we got a blood pressure monitor from walmart and i understand it's not a medical one but you know it is sold to monitor your blood pressure and through some trial and error with me taking a few readings for myself and looking, you know, my Google doctorate up online to try to ascertain what's a good reading. Most people should be around 120 over 80. Well, no, maybe it was 120 over 70. Point is, the definitely it, it was, it's not 140 over 90. Let's put it that way. So a good blood pressure reading is somewhere below 80. I think that's what I was in. And somewhere around 120 or thereabouts. 120, 130, 110. Those are good blood pressure readings. So definitely over 100 and definitely below 80. So my blood pressure readings, of course, have been, I wouldn't say stellar, but definitely not in the 140 or 90 category. My wife, however, has been measuring. On occasion, she will get close to 90. But when I say close to 90, like 87 for that second number. Her number hasn't been at the house over 135. And again, I will say that she is close. She is borderline, but she is also what I've looked up, what they call stage one hypertension. So the only reason that I bring this up is while we were doing some research today, um, which I will get into 
in just a moment, since I have the rest of this podcast. Also worth noting, uh, my wife was given a green light today from the um, choir that she participated in last year at Epcot during the Candlelight Processional, that as long as she's able to make seven rehearsals, she will be eligible to sing this year um, during the Candlelight Processional. So with a little luck and some skill, she, I, and Baby Bats should all be able to attend, and it will be, in my professional opinion, a really fascinating thing because last year we were there and it really made me feel good to know that she was able to do something that she loved with a company that she likes working for. And this year I'll be able to bring our child with us and have them observe, fuck it, have him observe what's happening even though he'll be an infant and he won't know what's going on, I'll still have him there while she's performing, doing something that she loves so that I can tell him that he's been with her at every performance she's ever done since he was able to come out, basically. Like, he wasn't with her last year. He wasn't with us last year because we hadn't made him yet. But she's literally been singing her whole life, and that's something she really likes to do. So right now she's in doing rehearsals, getting prepared for singing Christmas songs. It is, again, September 21, and uh, everything is pretty fantastic. So she's she's singing in the choir, and I couldn't be more proud or happy of the fact that in a year's time, we went from her singing in the choir to us bringing our son to the performance, at Epcot, where this takes place. So, anyway, back on topic. So, her uh, stage one hypertension is at the very edge of being controlled, but we're controlling for it. We've decided that, you know, we're going to try to reduce her salt intake. We're going to try to control for as many things as they want. They gave us a sheet of paper and told us to kind of keep track of two or three times a day, keep track of her um, blood pressure. Okay, fine. We're already keeping track of fetal movements, which she needs to be doing, keep track of about 10 per hour. Tonight, she tracked 20, a little over 20, I want to say it was like 23 in the course of an hour, with just her moving around the house and sitting still for a little while. She kind of, you know, she didn't track every single one of them. When we were inside um, them doing the, I think it's called the NPT, which they basically just strap things to her stomach. One monitors her um, the baby's heart rate, one monitors the contractions, and then she has what I like to call the game show buzzer in her hand, and she's supposed to use that every time she uh, feels the baby moving. She, he moved in that course. I want to say we were in there for about 45 minutes, maybe an hour. They brought her some water, and his heart rate went up and down like it was supposed to. Uh, when we went in, he did fine in that. I think they finally tracked him at like, it was like 27 or 28 movements in 45 minutes. So even more active during that session than he was at home. When we went just before that, we went to another location, the same company, uh, the same practice to get her uh, sonogram. And the only thing they couldn't really track or that she didn't feel comfortable signing off on was him doing the practice breathing. 
what she said she saw him doing subtle but not completely and for us uh we've had now at least three different sonogram operators or three different ultrasound techs um and every one of them has had slightly different ways of measuring uh some will consider a more nuanced practice breath and they'll consider that if he does it a few times that that's the equivalent of him doing more of a pronounced one um but again, you know, the fetal movement was great, the heartbeat was great, the fluid was great. Like they, the operator today didn't say anything was out of the ordinary. Just like the week prior, they didn't say anything was out of the ordinary. So, so far, the only things that are out of the ordinary are my wife's blood pressure and the fact that she has gestational diabetes, which we are monitoring and and taking care of as best we can right now. When we went and saw the doctor that primarily attacks, or attacks is not the word, forgive me, it's been a day and I am so opening back up and realizing now that I am incredibly hungry, I will, again, address that not too long from now. So in the middle of this entire ordeal, this conversation that we are having, um, we are at the, the doctor's office is the gestational diabetic doctor. Uh, he even tells us when we walk in there, he no longer actively delivers babies, but he does work with, you know, the people that are going through gestational diabetes or asthma or gestational gestational stuff, just basically anybody, any condition that develops um, during the process of having a baby, he is the doctor they ask. And up until this point, it's important for me to note in this story, every doctor we've interacted with, every OB or every APRN or every, you know, uh, nurse's assistant, everybody that we've interacted with has basically told us his recommendation is going to be the recommendation they follow. And I say that because this next part of the story is important to how we got here. So after our sonogram operator, Lexi, is amazing, by the way, if you're ever Women's Care Orlando and you, uh, have her helping you. She is absolutely fantastic. Uh, after she goes through and, you know, we track everything and he's, you know, all the checks are in the boxes and we go sit in the room and they hook her up to the MPT machine and he comes in and he says, how do you feel about having this baby next week? Now, at that point in time, next week would be currently the week that we're in, which would be 21, 22, 23. And Mel and I had kind of talked about this beforehand because I like to uh, prepare. Um, change is very hard for some of us, and I get very anxious, so I like to like role-play conversations before they happen with a couple of different outcomes. And obviously, we're not going to be able to control for every outcome. Uh, there's an HBO show that you can watch where somebody tries to control for every outcome, but that's not the point. The point is... We had his speech ready, but unfortunately, she was shocked. So I took the lead. Excuse me. I took the lead, and I had said, hey, doctor, actually, you know, uh, we were kind of hoping if things stay stable and, you know, if everything's good, uh, we were kind of hoping that we could get to make it to October 1st. And he said, well, you know what? Why don't we call it September 30th? We can bring you in for an induction. And you probably won't end up giving birth until the next day because the meds do take a little bit of time to kick in. But I certainly don't see any reason why we can't let you go to 37 or 38 weeks. We just don't want you going past 39 because gestational diabetes tends to make bigger babies and complications and so on and so forth. He also had said in that 
in that speech that, you know, in all honesty, it was really up to us and her, but the both of us together as to what we were going to do. But he recommended that the you know, the sooner the better just because, you know, reasons. Now, the reasons being she's gestational diabetic. At this point, her blood pressure was not anywhere near the readings that they get on the next two visits. And I want to say it's important to mention that because her readings throughout this have consistently been 130s, 120s, 70s, 80s, up to the high 80s throughout the entire ordeal. And they have not one time told my wife this was a problem and we should address it with insert reasons drugs here. Because there are safe drugs that you can take when you have high blood pressure. All they have told her from here on out in these last two visits is, he's done, you should have him. Okay, now we understand that. We understand that. I'm going to get to why today was such a rocky road. So we, as I stated earlier, I'll put the, I'll put the chronological events in order. Uh, we had an appointment scheduled at 10.30 at one location, and the second location is about a 20-minute drive away. So we scheduled at 10.30, and then we scheduled the other appointment at 11.15. Well, it turns out we didn't have enough time to make it to the 11.15 appointment on time, but we did get there, and they were able to take us back. So once we got through the 10.30 appointment, which went well, that was the ultrasound appointment. That was the one she said she didn't get everything, but, you know, we spent all the time we could, and she felt pretty confident, and, you know, everything was okay, plus they're not the ones that make the decision as we talk to her about. They actually just forward the information, and the doctors make the decision. So, okay. We then go to the other office, and they hook her up to the NPT machine, and, you know, there's some there's some concern because the numbers aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, but again, remember, they're not really telling us what numbers, what's happening. I know we're just patients, but there's a very there's very little communication about what they're looking for and what's what's not happening and what should be happening. So we get through, they take her off the machine, they bring us into the exam room. A doctor comes in, and this is a doctor that to be fair before I get into the meat and bones of the story, we had seen this doctor about 2 months ago when Mel had first been diagnosed with the gestational diabetes. And when we came in, there was some confusion between us and the office about how much info she needed to be tracking. And I just realized that I have been recording this entire episode on the car for this segment. So I'm going to go ahead and pause right here and switch back to my phone because it probably sounds like I'm talking to you through a tin can. So now that I don't sound like I'm on a 1980s, you know, wired into the house phone. So we get back into the office and the doctor comes in and says, Hey, you know, it's great to have you. Um, Let's talk. Um, We're looking over your information. And how do you feel about having the baby today? And I felt the whole room just kind of go dim for a few moments. Not because I'm not looking forward to the birth of our son. But 
change doesn't really go easily for people and change doesn't go easily for my wife either. At this point in the story, it's important to note we had compromised with the gestational diabetes doctor for the due date. Mel still wanted to deliver this baby naturally. She really wanted to work all the way up until she went into labor, water broke, and all that good stuff. So them talking to her about inducing her labor isn't the ideal situation. And it's never the ideal situation for most women. Some women are really happy to get the baby out of them. They want to be done with pregnancy. They're done. My wife wants to be done with pregnancy, but she wants to be done with pregnancy when she's ready to be done with pregnancy. She's not ready. Therefore, we're not done yet. So Mel's reaction, of course, is, well, we're, we thought that October 1st was the date that we had talked about. And she, the doctor then says, well, we're going to recommend against that because your blood pressure is still really high right now. And this is the second reading in a row that it's been really high. And because of that, you know, you're at risk for preeclampsia. And my world, again, gets really dim because now at this point, this is two times, two weeks, two appointments that they've used that term on my wife. Preeclampsia is a set of conditions that's usually tracked with several symptoms. There are signs and there are symptoms and they aren't always the same thing. Her signs right now are the gestational diabetes, the swelling of the feet, and the high blood pressure. But the high blood pressure, even as I'm talking, is not high. It's not through the roof high. I am saying that after we had this appointment, I'm inserting this in the story. After we had this appointment, I came home and I began researching women who had preeclampsia so that I could know what kind of readings were high for them. And I found about eight stories on a website, preeclampsia.org, which is actually a uh, nonprofit that is operated here out of Melbourne, Florida. Um, and the, the readings that these women were posting in their stories, these numbers were like 160 over 120, 180 over 110. Please don't get me wrong. I am a, a statistics nerd. I like averages and I like reading about other people's experiences, especially when we're talking about the health and safety of not only our unborn son, but my wife, who I love and I want to spend the rest of my life with. And one of the things that kept popping up was that most of these women had underweight babies, as in when they delivered 34, 30 weeks, 20 weeks in some cases, a few of the stories, they were early, that the babies were three to four pounds. Our son is measuring, on average, they say he's between seven and eight pounds. Again, it's hard to tell how big a baby is until he's actually born, but he's measuring about seven to eight pounds, which is a pretty good-sized baby. Mel has a friend who has going into her third childbirth, and I'm pretty sure one of her, her either her son or her daughter, came out and was like nine, almost ten pounds, or more than that. But they're also taller people, right? You know, it, two pounds is a big deal when you're big when you're big enough to handle it. My wife is tiny and I understand their concern is that the placenta could rupture, she could bleed, it could detach. There are so many things that could potentially happen. So in the middle of this life-changing, earth-shattering, shock-inducing moment for me, 
I am now watching my wife basically take control and she, we swapped we swapped spots from the other day. So when I, I was talking to the gestational diabetic doctor and you know we were negotiating the terms of when baby can arrive, she literally grabbed a hold of the reins and was like, no, I would like to talk to my husband for a minute if you can just give us a couple minutes. And the doctor said, well, if you say no, I'm going to have you sign paperwork that absolves us of all um, responsibility because you're going against medical advice. And then Mel said, well, I would still, if it's okay, I would like to talk to my husband and is there a way that we can get my blood pressure read again? And then the doctor says, well, that's not going to change my advice. And at this point, the hostility that's coming off of this woman is clearly evident. The first time that we were in there, she treated us like she had other things to do and this was not the most important thing of her day. Now, hear me for a second. I work in retail. I literally have a line of people that stand in front of me. So I have to walk a tightrope with most of them on, no, no, it's fine, let me help you, versus there's a giant line of people and I have to keep this line moving. And I have to know when there are times when I need to do that and times when I'm not. I know that as a doctor, she knows how many other patients are currently waiting for her. And I know that as a doctor, she can tell exactly when someone is you know, more in need or less in need but the fact that we've had two interactions with her and both of these interactions have been exactly the same, regardless of the content that we're bringing to her. I mean, she all but told us during the first meeting that we had that the data that we were giving her was useless and to just come back and see another doctor. Those aren't the exact words that she used, but she that was the impression she left us with. And I'm very big on words are important. I don't care about how you say things to me. So personally, I understood what she was saying. It was just that she didn't offer any help. She didn't offer anything. She was just basically like, well, you guys aren't prepared. This is a wasted trip for both of us. Have a good day. We'll schedule an appointment at the front desk. Come back when you have the info. Okay. Well, they call it bedside manner. And I understand not all doctors have it. She can still be an amazing doctor, but not have it. So when we went in today and I realized who it was that we were meeting, I was like, well, you know, it was just an off day for her. We'll give her another opportunity. When she came in, she was still upbeat. She was pretty cheery. Everything was going pretty well, and then things went off the rails, and before I know it, we are talking about my wife potentially being pre- having preeclampsia, and that she could potentially die, or the baby could be stillborn, or a whole host of other things that could be wrong right now, even though we have just been through some stuff where we know the baby's still moving, she's still active, my wife is still feeling fine, things can change. And she even says this, the doctor even says this to my wife at one point, well, things can change pretty rapidly and you could have a stroke. I can't properly enumerate or explain exactly how I was feeling in those moments, but let me just explain to you that I don't really remember driving us home. And I remember being cold. Like, I honestly wanted to turn the AC up and turn the heat on in the car. It was 90 degrees outside and I was freezing when we walked out of that building. I was literally in a state of shock. Like, she could not have chosen worse words to say to us in that moment. But my wife was just like, I got it. So at one point, I remember telling her, it's okay, it's okay. And her looking at me like, are you saying that for me? Are you saying that for you? Because I was just like, I looked at her and I was like, whatever you decide, I'm going to agree with. When the doctor left the room, 
I said to her, whatever you decide, I'm going to agree with. And she's like, I don't want to do this. I feel like we're being railroaded into, you know, inducing me for birth. And I don't feel like there's anything wrong. I understand their concern. I heard everything she said to me, but I don't understand why they really want us to like have this baby as soon as they do. Other than the reasons that they've given us, which again, are are good enough reasons. They're evidence-based. I hear that. That's that's not part that's part of it, but that's not part of it. So when the doctor comes back in the room, Mel tells her, I'm gonna decline the the being admitted to the hospital. And she says, Okay, well, I'm gonna have you sign the paperwork. I'll have the nurse in here in just a moment. In between all of that, because this is in segments in my brain, the the doctor's visit part, and then forgive me. Um, she says that I need to do a pelvic exam and I need to check and see if you're dilated. And I remember, as my wife says it too, but I remember her, the doctor saying very, very like shocked and surprised, you're not even a little dilated and the baby's still way up there. As in like, at this point now, you know, reflecting on it in the moment, I was just like, I, it was just something else I heard. And, you know, I was just an autopilot, but in this point and hearing that and, and reflecting on it, I'm like, have you been listening to a single thing that my wife has said, or did you just come in here with an idea of what you were going to do and hopes that we were just going to bend over and like, you were just going to put us in a chair and take us there because the main concern for her then, after we sign off on everything, we get copies of what we get copies of. We even got a copy of what we signed off on. The main concern, and also the nurse comes back and does the blood pressure. And of course, it's even higher because, you know, literally the world is being shook around us. The whole point of this is like that my wife is now, you know, we're, we're leaving and we have to go schedule an appointment. And she says, later of course not while we were in there if it was so serious why didn't they say they were calling an ambulance like we need to transfer you over there now if it's so serious why are they not doing things for me and so i'm trying to rationalize being the guy that i am and you know i i'm trying to always look for the path of least resistance and i basically say to her well babe you know they may have realize that us transporting ourselves over there voluntarily is good um but you know obviously they're going to give you some advice and it's up to us whether or not we wanted to follow it it's kind of like when we were talking to the gestational diabetic diabetes doctor and he said listen my advice is you do this but you can clearly do whatever you'd like like i can't force you to give birth and i'm over here going so if he was saying that to a week prior, this is only a week before, like, I just realized that now this is that appointment was like seven days ago. Um, if he had said that a week ago, and this had changed so much since we went to the appointment the next day, and now we're at the second appointment. So we're at two OB appointments since we've been to the diabetic, the GD doctor. Um, how is it that we've gone from like, you know, you should really give birth soon to or you should basically, it's okay to wait until October 1st or September 30th to know you should do this today. Like we're not understanding what happened and how we got there. And I understand in light of new information, they have to work with the data that's in front of them. But it's, this is an important point to mention now too. After we bought the blood pressure cuff, even when we went to Walmart that night, 
she was a 137 over 85 while we were walking around Walmart, which again is high. We brought the blood pressure cuff home. We powered it up. We used it that night. We took two or three readings to try to calibrate it. And then we took a reading and then another reading a couple hours apart. And she was at like 130, 125 over, uh, let's say 77 or 82. Again, elevated, but not high. So the point in this was, okay, so what is really going on? Like, why is this such an issue? And what Mel has been helping me work with for the last few hours is trying to process this because I am still, that's why I'm doing this podcast. I am still trying to work through this in my head. I am still trying to work through how things could have gone sideways so fast and how they really want to like push her into delivery. When, like I said, that last interaction that they had where she was like, wow, you're not even dilated and the baby's still way up there. It's like, yeah, if you induce her, it's going to be hours before he comes. Hours. Like, if you induce her tonight, there's no guarantee the baby's even going to be ready to come out by tomorrow. We may be in the hospital for days at this point, which I understand the hospital is the safest place for her to be when this situation's going on. And we're going to get there. But Mel felt very strongly about having her autonomy taken away from her and them threatening us basically and and scaring the life out of me i honestly if i could have passed out in that office i felt like i was gonna faint i could have just dropped and that would have been it but when all was said and done we got back in the car and we drove home and again i don't really recall the drive home I remembered that I was going to want to stop and get her milk on the way home, but we opted out of doing that because we just wanted to get back home. And I was still so cold. It was freezing. We got in the car and I kept turning the AC up on my side. So we have that split side. It's so nice. And I just kept turning it up a little and up a little more, trying not to get the cold air to blow on me because I was just so cold when we came home. I got partially undressed. I normally just get down to my boxers or I wear a pair of like gym shorts around the house and I couldn't even bring those out. I I just took off the shorts I've been wearing around for the day. I hung them up. I grabbed my phone. I went and sat on the couch, asked her if she was okay to do everything else. And then I we called my mom and my mom only had a couple minutes to talk. But, you know, we eventually got around to having a longer conversation with her and I knew that Mel just needed to talk to some other women because this is an area where I love my wife and I love everything about her and I want her to be okay and I want her to be happy with the choices that she makes. But as a guy who's never been pregnant and is never going to be pregnant in this lifetime, I can't really make decisions like that. The only time I can really make decisions like that is when she's no longer available to make decisions for herself. Then I am going to have to make a decision and I will make a decision that's going to benefit both of us in the long run. I need her. And I need him too. I love both of them already. He's not even with us yet. And I love them both. But I want to respect her wish right now is to try and get as close to A, get as close to October as possible. And B, she really would like to have a normal childbirth, air quotes, normal, like she really would like to have gone into labor. But if we can't do that, substituting in the, we're just going to make it till September 30th and we're going to start the process over the weekend then that's what we're going to try to do. We're going to just keep our blood sugar in check. We're going to keep giving her insulin. We've gotten communication back from the nutritionist who basically just told her, didn't mention anything about the high blood pressure, by the way. 
Nothing about the high blood pressure, nothing about watch your salt intake or anything like that. So I'm very confused. And when we get the paperwork back, we start combing through the paperwork because now we're home and I'm starting to cool down and, you know, come back up thawing out, so to speak. I'm coming back up to room temperature. I start realizing the paperwork that they gave us is pretty much a complete medical history of everything that they've done for, if, if not every visit we've had, at least the majority of the visits that we've had. And so I start looking back and that's when I start seeing on our chart, her blood pressure data hasn't deviated much, if at all. Again, 122 and 136, I know are uh, 16 or 14 points apart from one another. But the point is, is she's not throwing these 160 over 110 numbers out. At no point in a pregnancy has she been throwing out 160 over 110. So if she just wants to kind of cruise control and take it easy, they're not telling her to keep her feet up. They're not telling her not to work. They're not telling her to take it easy. They're not telling her to... They're just basically coming back to her and telling her, look, you have to go deliver this baby. The only way this problem is going to go away, the situation that you are in is going to cure itself, is if you deliver the baby. If you don't do that, then there isn't anything else we're going to do. If you're ignoring our, our advice, there isn't anything else to do. And she's over here just upset because she's not ready to have the baby yet. She knows the baby's coming. We've already discussed a date. We're good. But the doctors aren't making a convincing argument for why we should go. Yes, death is scary. Yes, death of the baby is also very scary. Terrified the shit out of me. And I told her that if it was my decision to make alone, we would have already been at the emergency room a few moments later. We would have been admitted to the hospital within a few moments of leaving that office. But that it was not just my decision and I needed to take her experience and her desire and what she wants to do into account. That's it. I know that we have plans. She has things she wants to get to. That's totally fine. I want her to do as many of those things as she can before she's going to be on a couch healing for a couple weeks. Not going to be on a couch. She's going to be in our bed, but that's not the point. The point here is that my wife right now is having some challenges that our doctor can't seem to understand how to explain to her. And rather than trying to help her explain it or help her understand it, they are like coming down on her from a place of authority. And that is really frustrating for her. And for me too, because I understand I don't want to be lectured and I don't want to be talked to like I'm a child and like I don't know what's going on. But at the same time, I know that these doctors are having her best interest at heart and they're trying to prevent some tragic things from happening. But she doesn't feel that they've given her enough information to agree with them. And if they are trying to convince her to have this baby because of potential danger to herself, she doesn't see it right now. The reaction of the one of the nurses the other week and the fact that they didn't right then try to admit her. She's saying to her, it's basically the same as if you tell somebody you love them, but then you like break their arm. Your actions and your words don't match up. So I am going to do my best to keep myself together as I have been talking to her throughout the day. And even at one point, she said, well, if you're going to really struggle with this, then we should just go. And I said, no, I need to listen to what you want. It's important that I listen to what you want. 
This isn't you manipulating the situation. This isn't you trying to convince me. This is me talking through it. I need to process everything. She literally like threw a stick of dynamite in a lake. I am lost. I am all over the place. Everything I think of, I think of the worst possible case scenario. I'm also sitting here thinking about how are we going to pay rent? What happens if she does need to go in? Are we going to be okay having a few weeks off? I'm going to be working. I'll be getting paid for seven full weeks. I would be getting eight full weeks, but unfortunately I didn't save up enough paid time off throughout this last few weeks where things got a little more challenging and I wanted to be with her when she was doing things. In retrospect, I probably should have gone to work as much as I possibly could have so that I could accommodate our needs for the time off. But again, I've made decisions and here we are. I've borrowed money from family members. They've given me money and I haven't borrowed it, but they've given me money to help keep us afloat throughout this. We have diapers, we have everything we need to make this happen due to the kindness of strangers and they're not strangers, they're family and friends. But everything that's going on right now is due to the kindness of others. There's no way we would have a crib if it wasn't for one of the ladies that I work with giving us one. There's no way that we would have half as many diapers if it wasn't for my mom and some of her friends from work getting us diapers and wipes. People I used to work with in Georgia getting us things, helping us out with baby clothes and bibs and just all kinds of stuff. And I am wrapping my head around the fact that we went into the doctor and they tried to terrorize us into getting my wife to be admitted to have this baby this week. We make it through one day at a time from now until next week. We're going to just do one day at a time. One day at a time, little by little, poco a poco. Because that's all we can do. That's, that's it. And I, I am trying not to carry the stress on me because I feel like I'm not doing everything that I can right now. And all I need to really do is support her and listen and be there when she needs something. And I'm, I was worried the other day because like I, I'm trying to get my hours up for this week. And so one of the things that I'm doing is I'm going to work a couple of shorter shifts over the next two days because she needs to be at work and I need to be at work in order to pay bills. So we're both going to try to go and work as many hours as we can, even if it's not the entire shift. So I'm probably going to work like in the next two days, maybe about 11 hours between the two, maybe 12. I've already put in all the PTO that I have left off. So my paid time off is already in there and that'll get me into a nice, you know, other half of a pretty stable paycheck for this week. It's the next two weeks that are going to be really rough because You know, if she does give birth on Saturday or Sunday, I'm already scheduled to be off from work and I'm worrying about how are we going to pay rent and how are we going to pay car insurance and how are we going to keep the electric bills on? And I will be getting paid, please don't get me wrong, but there's this five-day period, which means one of my checks is only going to be half as much as it could be. And that scares me because that's money that we need and I don't know what else I'm supposed to do when it comes to supplementing my income because part of me is the instinct is what can I sell? Like, what can I get rid of? I need a couple hundred dollars, like four or $500 is going to get us through. We're not going to be able to go anywhere. We're not going to be able to do anything. We're running low on groceries. And I, I have been trying to just stop 
and just sit. And that's why these this last hour or so has been so important for me because I am sitting outside of a rehearsal hall on Disney property where she is inside getting one of the seven rehearsals done. We will probably be going to at least two more this week. Um, and then we need to get everything situated and, and try to keep her stable and try to keep him stable, keep him moving, keep us moving forward until we can get to, you know, induction day, which will be on Friday the 30th. We've scheduled an appointment with the, the OB just to go and get the, um, the sonogram done to make sure that everything still looks good. And our plan basically that day is we're just going to go and we're going to pack the car with the car seat and all of our luggage, you know, the stuff we want to take. And we are going to tell them they want us to have us admitted, have her admitted. And I'm going to pretty much just camp out and we're going to see if we can make it through until baby bats is here. So in about one week, he'll be here with us. And uh, I can have him in the background on some of these recordings. Um, it's a lot. And I know this isn't the normal political show that I do or the normal like current events things or even talk about some history. I, I just needed to talk and get this out on record so that I can have it when I look back at this time next year. And hopefully things are just good and he's good and I'm good and we're good and we've got a good working routine down and we know exactly what to expect and where to go and and we we figured stuff out and just when we figure stuff out you know we'll change it again because that's what babies do but I don't want to have the fear take over so with that being said I've not made any edits to this episode I'm going to be posting it here in the next few moments as I can very clearly see the fireworks starting to go off over what I believe is Magic Kingdom. So I will say to you guys, thank you so very much, as always, for listening in. Um, feel free to contact me with any questions you might have. And uh, it, I will hopefully get back to making these a little bit more regularly on the other side of Baby Bats. I should hopefully be able to get at least one more episode pumped out. But if not, a month of October, I'm going to have some time in between changings and feedings and burpings to try to get this all worked out. And uh, I love you all. Um, Thank you for being along for the ride since last November where I've been doing this show. And I really hope that I can get back to making these again soon and we can have some chats. I'll talk to you soon. Take care.